they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you so much. Warm welcome to those of you who are with us here. But also, let's put our hands together and welcome any who might be watching online too. Uh, great to be joining together across the nation and some of you even from other nations too, which is fantastic. Well, we're at a really key uh, turning point uh, in our series on this theme of Revive Us. Uh, we're coming to a week of prayer and fasting, and then we're looking ahead uh, to next weekend, to the day of Pentecost. And I want to talk today about a particular aspect of revival. I want to look at the theme of a revival of awe. Three-letter word, A-W-E, awe. Now, talking of awe, there's a, a word that I'm sure you're pretty familiar with. It's become very popular uh, in, in recent years, and it's the word awesome. Or as my American friends would say, awesome. Uh, you know, and we can bandy the word awesome around a little bit too freely. So, for example, if somebody has a nice haircut, you may say, awesome haircut. Or you've had a nice meal, you may say, wow, that was an awesome meal. Or, you know, if you look at the way Man City have been playing this year, you may say, awesome football they've been playing. Or for those who are joining from Leicester, you know, if you watched the FA Cup final yesterday, come on, yeah. Uh, the, the guy scored uh, what may be called an awesome goal. And when we use that word in kind of this sort of slang way, what we're really saying is, wow, that was really impressive. That was superb. But actually, the only problem with that is that in, in so using it a little bit casually like that, I believe it, it's potentially reduced the sense of uh, the original meaning of the word awesome and the original meaning of the word awe. Here's a, dif a dictionary definition of the word awe. An overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear produced by that which is grand, sublime, or extremely powerful. I trust you'd agree haircuts and football and meals don't actually fit into that description. One of the most truly awe-inspiring sights I've seen is the Niagara Falls. I uh, went there, oh, I don't know, must have been over 30 years ago. And there's two ways that you can, uh, you can see the Niagara Falls. First is you get in one of these little boats and they take you not too near because otherwise if you go too near from the front, you're going to get absolutely drenched and even further, well, you imagine this awesome sight as <clears throat> torrents of water cascade over. You have to wear these little cagoules because even at a distance, you're going to get the spray and you're going to get drenched. But there's another way that you can actually experience the falls and that's by going nearer. 
Um, there are little tunnels behind and you can actually, as it were, go through those tunnels and you can hear the sound of the waterfall. You can even see it, uh, but, but you don't get uh, wet at all. And I'm here today not to extol the virtues of the Niagara Falls or indeed other creative things, as awesome as they are. But we're here today to focus on how we can see a revival of awe in the one who created the Niagara Falls and everything else, including you and me. I want to talk about a revival of awe in God himself. Now, yeah, come on, he, he is truly awesome. Now, when we talk about revival of awe, we're basing this on this passage we just um, heard read. Acts 2, verse 43, there's a little phrase there in the NIV. It says, everyone was filled with awe. Now, the literal translation, um, in the original Greek, the word there for awe is phobos, which, of course, has come into our language, lots of phobias you'll recognize, or it literally means fear. So one translation, literally, it would be a revival of fear. But I believe the reason the translators went for awe is because it can be slightly confusing. My question is, are we called to fear or are we called not to fear? <laughs> you know, the, one of the, the most popular command in the Bible is fear not. There's a promise that says perfect love casts out fear. How many could do with the Lord setting you free from even more fear in your life? And so, so what are we talking about? Are we to fear or are we not to fear? Well, on the one hand, I believe Jesus has come to break chains off our lives and to set us free from all negative kinds of fear. And his perfect love does cast out fear. But there's a positive fear. There's, if you like, a right fear, which is expressed here by this word awe, which is actually a common biblical theme, and it's the theme of the fear of the Lord. It appears all the way through the Old Testament, but it doesn't stop there. It continues also into the New Testament as well. Now, what do we mean then by the fear of the Lord? Well, it's not a cringing fear of a, of a tyrant God. No, it's a sense of respect, a sense of reverence. It's a holy awe of God. And when we have this awe of God, or this kind of right fear of the Lord, one person described it as this, it produces in us a radical God-centeredness from which you shape your whole life around. I love that. When we truly know God in this sense of the fear of the Lord, there's something in us that wants to shape our whole life uh, with him as the centre. So, uh, as, as we look ahead, I believe there's something we need in our lives as we kind of, as it were, come out of this pandemic, both individually, collectively, as all around us, we see people, as it were, stumbling out from the darkness, beginning to try and adjust uh, to, to, to life back to some semblance of normal. I believe more than anything else, we need a true revival of the awe of God or a right fear of the Lord that will set us free from every other kind of negative fear. Can I have an amen? We want a revival of awe in our lives, in our church, and overflowing. So there's two key questions I want to ask. There's a, there's a why question, there's a how question. The first question is, why should we live in awe of God? Why live in awe of God? Well, the, you know, we could spend a whole series on this alone. But I've only got a few minutes, so, so here goes. The first reason why we live in awe of God is because he is awesome. 
That's good reason to, to have awe of God, because he's awesome. We, we need to recognize that our God is not some kind of just nice sugar daddy, benevolent, tolerant, 21st century God where anything goes. No, no, he is an awesome God. Right now, before the throne, there are heavenly beings who just seeing God are bowing down. So awesome is he. And night and day, they're crying out, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord, or worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Our God is awesome right now. He's awesome. He always has been. He is, and he always will be. That's why I love um, how C.S. Lewis describes Jesus in the Narnia stories. Um, He describes him in the character of an extremely loving, yet awesomely powerful lion called Aslan. On one occasion in The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, Mr. Beaver, one of the characters, tells Susan that Aslan, who's the ruler of Narnia, is actually a great lion. Susan's a bit surprised and shocked by this, so she asks Mr. Beaver, is he quite safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about him being safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. I love that. Of course he's not safe. He's the lion. But he's good. He's the king. And so why should we live in fear of God? Firstly, because we we need a fresh revelation, a fresh um, encounter with the one who is truly awesome. He's magnificent. He's majestic. He is exalted. He is holy. But he's also good. He's awesome, but he is good. Can I say here that we need to realize there's no kind of contradiction between the goodness of God and the holiness of God. There's no sense that having a fear of God undermines um, our experience of the unconditional love of God because God is both awesomely holy, but he is also intensely and passionately loving. Aren't you so glad about that? He's just absolutely amazing. And so God is not a tyrant that we're to have this sort of cringing fear of. No, he's a loving father who we can actually run to and we can experience the source of all our needs being met in him. Uh, As I was kind of preparing for this, I came across this wonderful verse in Isaiah 33, verse 5 and 6. Listen to this. It says, The Lord will be the sure foundation for our times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. Wow, what a, what a great scripture. He's, he himself, the Lord, is a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And then I love this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Now, if we look at the whole of scripture, how do we experience the goodness of God? Well, in a particular New Testament context, we know that faith has a key part in us receiving the grace of God. But it's not in contradiction with this sense of the fear of the Lord or walking close with God or honoring him or obeying him. Here it says the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. And again, as I was praying, I saw a picture of like a massive great big chest. Uh, You can imagine going up into your attic and finding a treasure chest. You say, wow, wonder what's in there. Well, according to this verse, um, in that treasure chest or in that storehouse, there is goodness and there is blessing and there is life. And when we walk in the fear of the Lord, 
we can enter into the blessings that this good God has already purchased for us in Christ. We, they, they, these blessings are manifested to us. So um, again, I haven't got time to unpack these, but just doing a quick kind of survey. What are the promises for those who walk in the fear of the Lord? Well, firstly, as we walk in the fear of the Lord, we get wisdom. How many can do with more wisdom in your life? I don't want to be stubborn or complacent. I want to be somebody who humbly keeps posturing myself with the Lord. For the rest of my day, said, Lord, I need your wisdom. And then out of his wisdom comes, secondly, protection. Wow, we need the protection of God, don't we? There's something about walking in the fear of the Lord that brings health. There's promises of health there, Proverbs chapter 3. There's the promise of longevity, long life. I don't know about you, I think I'll aim for 100. <laughs> you know, there's something about the promise of longevity. There's blessing over our lives and protection. And then there's provision. It says those who, seek, uh, uh, who fear the Lord will lack no good thing. And then it summarizes the whole, the whole kind of sense of when we walk with the Lord and fear him and honor him. Psalm 128 verse 1 said, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. In other words, there's something of the manifested blessing of God when we walk in obedience to him. Now, I've been a Christian now for, uh, I'm just trying to think, uh, 38 years. And I can honestly say uh, that the more I've, you know, I want to tell you, I've got it wrong like you have. I'm still growing in holiness like, like all of us are. But I want to tell you, there's something about, as it were, pursuing God and making him the center of my life. Um, it just pays because he is good. And the more I run to him, the more I center my life around him, the more I experience his blessings. Why should we live in the fear of God or the awe of God? Because number one, the Lord is awesome. But second, he's good. But thirdly, he is also near. Now, theologically, God is both far off. He's exalted. He's above us. But he's also a God who's present with us, a God who's near to us. Now, in the Old Testament, um, one of the pictures or the images of the presence of God was fire. So you see, for example, you have the pillar of fire guiding the Israelites in the wilderness. You have fire on Mount Sinai that was so, uh, it was such a sense of the awe of God that the Israelites this is before Jesus Christ came, had to stay at a distance because they thought we can't come near this holy presence of God. For me then, there's an absolute wonder when we come to the day of Pentecost. Jesus has come, he has died, he has shed his blood, he has been raised from the dead, he has been ascended, he's made a way for us to come near to God and, come, and for God to come near to us. Listen to this promise, that on the day, or listen to what happened. On the day of Pentecost... The sound like the blowing of a violent wind came into the whole house where they were sitting. And then we read this. Tongues of, tongues of fire. What's the fire representing? The holy, all-consuming presence of God that in the Old Testament was so awesome you had to keep it a distance. Now, the tongues of fire came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, I, I look at that and I think, all time. <laughs> yes, God hasn't changed. He's still holy. But because of Jesus, we're not just 
people who can draw near to God in Christ, but this is the miracle of miracles. This is the wonder of wonders. Since the day of Pentecost, every person who receives Jesus and receives the Holy Spirit receives the holy presence of God, come to indwell their body for the rest of eternity. How awesome is that? Means means 24-7. You have a holy God living on the inside of you. You have an awesome and a good God. When you go to work, you have an awesome God living on the inside of you, an all-powerful God, an all-loving God. When you just go about your daily business, you have an awesome God. What an incredible privilege we have to have the holy, awesome, good presence of God in our lives. What about you? That, that produces me a sense of, wow. But there's another sense in which, while it's amazing that God has come by his spirit to live on the inside of every single Christian, there's another sense, almost like another dimension, that happens when we are together as the people of God. You see, on the day of Pentecost, the spirit didn't just come for Peter or John or for a special few. He actually came into a room where there are 120 of his followers gathered, and it was into that atmosphere, if you like, that collective gathering where the presence of God came. And I believe that as we begin to move out of this pandemic, hopefully, into a new season, that we are going to experience a revival of awe at the presence of God in our midst that isn't, as it were, trying to get back to what it was like 15 months ago. I believe we, we need to experience a revival of awe of 2,000 years ago that's going to be greater than we've ever known before because there's something about God in the midst of his people. Uh, last, last week in um, first service here in Peterborough, um, one of our intercessors says she saw a picture of the Holy Spirit moving and of the angels of God just moving in our midst, just distributing gifts. Can I say something happens when we come together as the people of God? Well, you know, I know we many ways, even this week through prayer and fasting, we have to gather online. But as we connect together, God is going to move in mighty, mighty ways. So how do we grow in our awe of God? By knowing that he's awesome, he's good, and he's near. So that, that then leads the question, how? How do we grow in our awe of God? Well, if we go back to the definition of our awe of God and the fear of the Lord, its implication is we have a radical God-centeredness from which we shape our whole life around. And so I want to just summarize. There's so much we could say on this. But I just want to summarize how we can grow in our awe of God, almost like by talking about a movement. Firstly, it's a movement to turn away from something. And secondly, it's a movement to run to someone. First thing we need to know if we want to grow in our awe of God is we need to have a radical choice to turn from sin. To turn from sin. If you carry on in the uh, story in Acts, they're having revival, people are getting saved, miracles, lots of joy, lots of hospitality, generosity and community. And then something happens that potentially messes up what's, ha- what, what's going on. There's a couple called Ananias and Sapphira who basically just lie about what they're giving. That they, they, they gave a portion, but they basically made out that they gave everything they had. And as a result, they get judged, they die, and as a result, it says great fear 
came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, we don't know what that fear or, or we could say awe there was like. For, I believe probably for those who are walking with the Lord, there'd have been a sense of a right awe. Wow, God is in our midst. For those who may be not right with God, I think there may have been a genuine sense of fear. God is powerful. He's not to be uh, a God to be messed with. Now, we don't know why Ananias and Sapphira did what they did, but it seems quite clear that they were more bothered about how they appeared to others rather than doing what we're called to do, which is live for the audience of one. You see, when we are truly putting God on the throne of our lives and we're saying, God, all that matters to me is that we're right together and I'm fulfilling your will and loving people and fulfilling your purpose. Do you know that begins to free us from all kinds of other stuff that's not good for us and not honouring to God? And so how then do we turn away from sin? Well, again, as I was um, uh, preparing for this, my sense was that, and I think it's pretty obvious, that many of us can have stuff in our lives that rather than going, as it were, to the big treasure chest, which is God's storehouse of goodness for us, where, where we're designed to go, we might have other little chests, metaphorically speaking, other little store places where we can go for false comfort and false security. And some of these chests might look quite attractive from the outside. They might lure you in. But when you open them up, you realise as you start partaking of what's in there, it can start destroying your soul and your sense of peace and your relationship with the Lord. Those things may be obvious what we would call sin. <laughs> you know, maybe it's to do with stuff you, you know, and the pandemic has made it harder, I think, for a lot of people. It's been a tough season, a rough season for so many of us. And while on the one hand, I'm sure the Lord's been doing great things in many of our lives, Maybe you've experienced that stuff that you were maybe struggling with before the pandemic has got worse, or maybe areas that weren't a problem, suddenly you've, as it were, opened, started opening up these, these, these destructive little chests and could be to do with what you're watching. Maybe you're starting getting hooked on certain kind of websites. Maybe there's ways that you're conducting your life now in terms of certain relationships. You know that it's wrong and you just want to get free. But sin isn't just, as it were, obvious things. Sometimes sin is simply when we put anyone or anything, including potentially good things, and we put them on the throne of our hearts and we make them our source of security and satisfaction. And I believe part of the call of this message to prepare us for this week is an opportunity for us to say, I don't want anyone or anything to come between you and me. Lord, I want my, my love for you and my honouring of you to be very, very central. And I'm conscious, because <laughs> I've been a Christian for many years and been pastoring for many years, that sometimes we can try and get free from something. We just don't seem to be able to break through. You can start, you know, you know it's not right. You come under conviction. You, you, you think you've repented and then you're back where you started. So how do we break free? Well, firstly, by knowing that we have the spirit of this awesome God living on the inside of us. He is all powerful. But I believe there's something we can do to, as it were, help that process. And something that helps us break free is fasting. 
Now you can say, how can fasting be a good thing? Well, the, the, the best way I can describe it is shortly after I became a Christian, I was up at university and I sensed the Lord saying to me that I needed to start fasting for a day a week for sort of a actually 24-hour period. Now, at the time, I, I love food. I mean, I ate like a horse. How many, how many of you still love food? I still love food. How many think food's a good thing? We love food in this church. Let me just say, we love feasting. We're going to do a lot of it. But the Bible talks about fasting. What I, what I realized was that as I started, as it were, controlling what was a good and a healthy appetite and actually said no for that season, I actually found that it almost like did something in my flesh that meant that I was able to say no to other things and yes to God. It almost like it broke certain things in my life that I wasn't even aware of. And so can I encourage you this week, even if you've never done it before, even if it's just starting a, you know, uh, maybe a meal a day or certain types of food, or maybe it is a whole day or maybe longer, there's something about fasting. It doesn't change God, but it does change us. And it means that Jesus can come by his power and set you free from stuff you've never been free from. I want to believe for that for you. Why don't we agree together for people all across Kingsgate? They're going to get free this week from all kinds of stuff in the presence of God. So we've got to turn from sin and fasting can help us in that. But that's not the goal. The goal is not just to turn, to, 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 to turn from sin, it's to run from him, to run to our good, awesome, holy father, knowing that he alone can satisfy us. And that's where prayer comes in. You see, if you look at the immediate verse preceding the one that we're just reading, Acts 2.43, um, it says everyone was filled with awe. As we saw last week, what were they doing that helped create this atmosphere of awe? It says they were devoting themselves to prayer. In other words, they were turning to the Lord. They were running to him. I love weeks like this. It's a challenge because there's, there's a cost to it. You have to relook at your schedule a little bit, but something about intentionally saying, Lord, I'm going to set aside extra time to seek you. What happens? Well, just like happened in the early church, when we seek the Lord and when we feast on him, when we worship him, put on worship songs, take time to go out prayer walking, sign up for the 24-7 prayer slots, either on your own or with others. Come along and join the Zoom prayer meetings. Come to Touching Heaven. As we seek the Lord individually and together, I believe atmospheres are going to change over our lives. Because when the presence of God is there, um, the, 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 we, we not only experience a sense of awe. Listen to this, verse uh, 43 again. We've, we've focused on the first phrase, a deep sense of awe came over them all. But notice how it continues. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. As you look at your life, as you look at people around you, as we look at our church, as we look at our communities and our nation and the nation, how many agree we need God to move in mighty miracle power and breakthrough in all kinds of situations? Amen. We need to see a manifestation of the presence of God. But I love the link here. They prayed. Everyone was filled with awe. They saw miracles. And I believe there's almost like a two-way thing going on. The more they saw the miraculous power of God the more there was a deep sense of awe that came over them all. I believe God wants to break through in your life and my life and across our community and overflowing 
this week as we seek him with prayer and fasting. And I believe God doesn't want to just do something in us, in the church. God wants to break out to those around us. You see, this pandemic has been tough for all of us, but for probably most of us, not all of us watching today, we've had the comfort and the strength of knowing the Lord. But for people who haven't, this has been a confusing, bewildering season. And as Ellie Mumford said uh, a, a, a few weeks ago, God has not been asleep during this pandemic. He's been working on our neighbours. He's been working on people in our workplace. He's been working on uh, people at the school gates. He's been working. I believe as we go out from this place, as we go out with a fresh sense of we as the people of God, a fresh sense of all, I believe we need to be ready because God is gonna, has been working in other people's lives. And as we go out revived and renewed and refreshed in the power of God, get ready because I believe some of us are going to have encounters, not just with the Lord, but with other people. And God's going to break in and we're going to see just like on the day of Pentecost, just like it started with 120 and spread over to 3,000. Will you agree with me that this week, as we seek God, we're going to start seeing an increase of salvation in those around us. Amen. But for revival of all to happen, it's got to start with us. So I'd like us to pray together. And wherever you're at, whether you're watching online, whether you're here in, in, in the room with us, I just want to give an opportunity for us to make this change, this repentance to turn from any sin and to run to him. And even as I've been speaking, I'm aware this is a challenging message, but I believe it's a necessary message. God brings his word not to harm us, but to help us. And the great thing about repenting from sin, it's not all about us. We can know with confidence that because Jesus Christ came and he shed his blood, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just like to encourage you, maybe just like to close your eyes. As I've been speaking, I talked about those other kind of chests. Maybe there are some areas where you've been compromising and you know it. Or even as I've been speaking, suddenly the Lord's brought that to mind. It may just be you've been putting too much attention on stuff that's not in and of itself bad. But it's been moving, as it were, Jesus out of center stage. I'm, I'm not going to pray... I want to encourage you to pray right now. Why don't you, in your own words, quietly, just say, Lord, I want to turn away from all sin. I want to get radical with you, Lord. I want to ask you to, by your holy fire, as it were, burn out all compromise. If you know you specifically sin, why don't I just ask the Lord to forgive you? Maybe you, you don't know the Lord and it's your way of becoming a Christian. Why not say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for my sins. Thank you that I can be forgiven. Not just from the shame and guilt of what I've been doing, but you've come to set me free and give me new life, a new power to live differently. 
And then if you've been away from the Lord, or just like me, you say, Lord, I want a revival of all. Why not just say, Lord, I want, I want to just freshly consecrate myself to you. And then almost imagine the turn. You're turning away from sin, but you're running to him. Why don't you just lift up your hand right now? Let's get ready to worship and welcome the Lord. As we think about this week, there may be some adjustments to our schedule that need to take place. I know we're busy. Some of you got huge pressure. But I want to tell you, a bit of extra time seeking God can make all the difference. There's an opportunity as we do this together to position ourselves for a fresh move of the Spirit. And so as we get ready to worship, just like to invite you to stand to your feet. Those of you at home, why don't you just welcome the, the awesome presence of God. And Father, I want to pray right now that as we're worshipping you now in this atmosphere, atmospheres are going to change over our life. And I pray, Lord, for a sovereign freedom in Jesus' name, that you will break through in our lives and in our midst in your miracle power in Jesus' name. Let, let's, let's, let's worship the Lord together while the band leads us.